always uses Scotty and lets me know that we're on the same page. You know, the same spirit that lives in Scotty lives in me. So uh, that first song just really confirmed what I was going to speak on today. Uh, talking about the song service and, and the presence of the Lord, you know, the Bible talks about David many times when he got in the presence of the Lord, he danced. Now, I come from a long line of very stoic people. Uh, my dad says we're head nodders. We come from a long line of head nodders. You know, even if you see us at the ball game, we're not going to be the ones jumping and cheering and shouting. We're going to be nodding. But sometimes during our song service, I just can't help but to dance before the Lord. And most of you are kind of wondering, well, I ain't never seen you dance. Well, you ain't never seen me dance anywhere else either. I do this way. That's where you hold on to each other and you just do this. <laughs> so this morning, that service was just getting to me. Y'all sitting behind me, y'all saw me dancing. I was swaying. This morning, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 23. We got, I've got three sections of scripture that we're going to be looking at that I would like to tie together this morning. The Lord has really blessed me this week with this message. A lot of times when, uh, when I get to studying something or the Holy Spirit starts convicting me of something, I start getting that message from every source I come across. I'll... Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and speakers on the radio. I listen to a lot of Christian music. Um, if you've got the Bible app, I do the little daily things on there. And it seems like when the Lord really wants to get a message across to me, he'll give me the message from everything that I come across. So that's what I'm going to share with you today. And I want you to know that I needed this message more than anyone out there and I think oftentimes that's the strongest messages are the ones that speak to the speaker before they speak to the congregation and this morning I want you to know that I got this message before anyone got it then Matthew 23 starting in verse 1 it says then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with them with one of their fingers. The word burden that he puts here in the Greek is fortizo. It's a heavy burden placed on an animal, and that burden is part of what I want to talk about this morning. You see, the Old Testament has 613 laws, and the Pharisees added about that many more on top of what was already in the Old Testament. So they were placing 1,200 laws, rules, and regulations on the people that they were supposed to be serving and enforce them on the people. And I think if we're not careful, the contemporary church today has that same dangerous tendency. 
And when I say contemporary, I'm saying in the last 50 years. Uh, I heard David Platt this week say he went out on the streets of Birmingham one time. And he just asked random people, what do you think of when you hear the word guilt? And many of them immediately said church. See, we've got a dangerous tendency to pour out rules and regulations on people. Some of them are biblical, and some of them are just the cultural norms that we've picked up from our preferences, our denomination, or the way we do it in America. Then the people that come in are leaving with more guilt and shame than what they came in with, which is not the way this is supposed to work. I had a great uncle who predicted an exodus from the church when the literate generation came up and was able to read what the pastors was telling them and realized that a lot of the regulations that they were imposing on the people were not scriptural. And that's what we're seeing today. We are seeing an exodus of young people leaving the church because we have preached things that we're not living. We have preached things that are outside the Bible. For, I'll give you an example. Some of this, it really wasn't meant to be bad. It kind of went along the broken windows theory. I know Scotty's in law enforcement. You probably recognize that term. The theory is if you stop the broken windows, you will stop other things. If you stop the small crimes, you will stop larger crimes. So if we condemn dancing, then perhaps we will prevent fornication. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's all based on the rules and regulations. At times, we've tried to come out from under this, but a lot of times we end up casting out the rules and regulations, and that doesn't work either. You see, the truth is the law is God's law, and the law matters. Christ said in Matthew 5 and verse 17 that he did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill it. So where does that leave us? So today I'd like to, the next scripture that I would like to go to is Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 28 through 30. get to the right scripture. Here Jesus is talking and he talks about that burden that he talks about over in Matthew 23. Verse 28 he says, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word heavy laden is the same root word that we saw for the burden over in Matthew 23. The people were weighted down with a heavy religious system 
based in rules and regulations. They were carrying this burden. But the purpose of Christianity is not to pour out rules and regulations, but to know that we don't have to carry it alone. Now, we all know that we don't have to carry the burden of our sin once you get saved. Now, if you are not saved this morning, you are still staggering under the weight of your sin, under the rules of the law. But once you get saved, the burden of your sin is no longer yours to bear. It's nailed to the cross. It's cast from God as far as the east is from the west. That's all sin. That's past the sins that I've done in the past. That's the sins that I commit now. That's the sins that I am going to commit in the future. That is not my weight to carry. It is cast away. Unfortunately, this is as far as many Christians go. The danger is to think that this minimizes sin. And the truth is, this doesn't minimize sin. It maximizes the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. What lengths had to be gone through in order to do away with that sin? The God that created the universe, this huge, all-powerful, all-loving God, had to become a man, humble himself to become a man. He picked up and carried the weight of the law for his life. He never once set it down. He never dropped it. He never took a break from it. And then he suffered and died on a cross for you and for me. So we cannot minimize the power of sin. But we must maximize the power of the blood. And we've got to get a hold of what that blood has done for us. So others give him our sins, but then we go on to try to please him. And somewhere along the way, we form the opinion that God is pleased based on what we do. We fall into a trap of that old way of thinking that Paul warns us about in Ephesians 4 that will be the ruin of us. This mindset is legalism at its core that we can somehow earn God's forgiveness, God's grace, or God's pleasure based on our performance. First of all, we know we can't earn God's forgiveness. We've been over this and over this many times. Even a person who totally devotes his whole life to good works without Christ is just as far from God as the atheist is. And God's grace. What is grace? Can somebody give me the definition for grace? God's unmerited favor. So if it's unmerited, it's not based in what we do. The only thing, the only path for us to get grace is through Christ. God's grace comes not by our performance but through what God has done for us. But when it comes to God's pleasure, sometimes we get caught in the trap that the rules change, that God is somehow pleased with our performance. Even though Isaiah 64.4 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags, we think that God's opinion of us is formed by what we do or don't do. If we do well, he's pleased with us. If we don't, he's disappointed in us. 
So we run ourselves ragged trying to do everything that we're supposed to do, getting ever more exhausted and robbed of our joy. All the while dedicating to God the thing that he condemns over and over and over again in his word, the energy of the flesh. I see it time and time again when we go to these meetings, these extra activities that we're doing. They're good things. They're what we want to do. We're wanting to share the love of Christ and I see the same people, the same 10% at every one. We run ourselves to death and if we're not careful, we're doing it in the power of the flesh. The last scripture that I would like you to turn to is 10.38. We see Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. And we're going to see a very good description of this. And a lot of you who know me and have heard me on Sunday mornings know that this is a scripture that I struggle with greatly. All too often I find myself playing out the part of Martha in these verses. Starting in verse 38, it says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him unto her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was encumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I struggle with this. I fight this constantly because I find myself in Martha's shoes so many times. Again, like I was saying, I see the same people coming and working over and over and over again, and I think, Lord, don't you see the people that are not? Do you not see the people that are not working? Go tell them to get to work. And I would love to think that all the ones that are not working are doing the part of Mary, but I don't honestly believe that. But that mentality is a flaw in me because I get caught up working in the flesh and doing and I don't take the time to do that good part that Mary's doing. Ian Thomas in his book, The Saving Life of Christ, says this, Many Christians are like Martha. They are dedicated Christians, but they are still serving the Lord through their own human effort. Like Martha, they remain worried and upset about many things. They are still working in their own strength and will. And of course, the kind of, this kind of service drains them of spiritual energy. This may, of course, be a picture of you. Do not be shocked when I say that this is the picture of a carnal Christian. Yes, I am talking about Sunday school teachers, Sunday school superintendents, and pastors in the pulpit. I'm talking about many average, earnest Christians. They are not hypocrites, but they are tired, desperately tired. Furthermore, their old carnal nature is always trying to rise up and overshadow the light and beauty of Christ's life. But when you meet them, they will smile sweetly and mean it. Story after story could be told of men and women who bravely 
doggedly out of a sense of duty and devotion go on in their work for the Lord but deep down in their hearts they are frustrated and spiritually worn out. I believe this is what is paralyzing the church today because we've left out that one thing that Mary had, that one thing that is needful. We've got to stop wasting our time on the battles that Jesus has already fought, and we have got to start burying ourselves in who Jesus is. When you got saved, you've got to understand you were dead. You weren't a bad person, you were a dead person. Now you are alive. Okay? Getting saved is not about making you a better you. It is about making a new creature. When God looks at you, he loves you and he delights in you. Not based on one shred of your performance, but on what Jesus has done on your behalf. Jesus didn't lower the standards, he raised the standards. He raised the standard to perfection and then he met it. If you are not perfect, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing you can say. No matter how many meetings you go to, no matter how much you sing, no matter how much you serve, if you do not meet the standard of perfection, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way you are going to get meet that standard of perfection is for Christ to do it for you. Again, he carried the burden of the law. We can't do it. Now, if you go back to Matthew 11 again, get the picture here. You have a younger, weaker ox getting in the yoke with an older, experienced, stronger ox. The truth is that there's not a whole lot that we can do at that point in our own strength. I haven't had experience with oxen, but one of the things that I have seen is when you take a young draft horse and you hook it with another one. Oh, they'll act a fool. They'll try to run away, but they're latched on to that bigger, stronger, more experienced animal, and they waste all their energy trying to go the direction that they want to go, and ultimately they're going to go where the bigger one's going to take them. But they're completely wore out by the time they get there. The simple fact is the older animal, the stronger animal, the more he's more experienced in the ways of the master. He knows what he's supposed to do. And the truth is if that younger animal will just relax, this stronger animal will pull more of the load. And that's true in our Christian life. The more we relax in God's presence, and lean on him and his understanding, the more of the load he pulls. That's why his burden is light. When we think of burden, we go back and we think of the law. But that's not the burden he's talking about. This yoke that he puts upon you, he's carrying that burden. You're just in there with him hanging on. I think about, to give a little bit more of a modern analogy, a lot of you know from Sunday mornings that I, my favorite chore around the house, if you can have a chore, is bush hogging. One, it doesn't take a whole lot of energy. 
You see, when I go out and I start working on my own two legs, I'll usually have at least one buzzard come by in a circle. You know, just checking. And I don't even take it personal anymore. I just, I'm still here. You know. But I can go out in that field with a sling blade and I can wear myself out all day long. And by the time I get done, I'll have a little old patch of grass cleared and I can go back to the house, wore out, beat down, drag myself to the shower and off to bed, collapse. Or I can go get on that tractor with that bush hog and I can mow the whole field in a few hours. The whole time, I'm not doing any of the work. I'm just along for the ride. That's the picture that's being presented here. I can relax on that tractor and just enjoy the ride. And I'll be honest with you, my little sway up here, I'll actually get to dancing the jig on that tractor at times. I'll put me some Christian music in my earphones and I'll get on that tractor headed out to that field. And these times, you know, you get a cool breeze blowing in that summer heat and it feels so good and you've got that music playing in your ears and the Lord just gets a hold of you. And there have been several times I've turned loose of that steering wheel when I shouldn't have <laughs> and had to go back and get the patch that I missed. But I tell you, that's some of my favorite times. But it's because I'm doing it in the strength of that tractor and in the presence of the Lord. Jesus has given us not the freedom from the law, but he's given us the freedom to obey the law. Not by trying harder, but seeking a deeper relationship with him. Not because we are working harder, but because he's doing the work in us. He's transforming our mind, our thoughts, and our desires, but he'll only do that if we let him. That's what that good part was that Mary chose. Nathan, if you would, put that uh, picture up that I sent you if you've got it. So we have to abide in him. Then we no longer have peace with God. We have the peace of God. You see, I don't know if you can really see the circles there. It's not, it wasn't a great picture, but it really outlined what I wanted to bring out here. You see, so many times we want to start at the top of that circle. We want to start with our purpose. Well, we're here to serve the Lord, so we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to cultivate the right relationships. We're going to do the right things, and then we'll have the right desires, and we'll have the right thoughts. But the truth is, it starts out with that, what we started out with this morning. Those of you that missed the devotion this morning, it starts out with Christ in you. You have to surrender. You have to die to yourself. You have to crucify the old man and let Christ work in you. Then he transforms your thoughts. And your thoughts transform your desires. And once you have good thoughts and good desires, then it transforms your actions. Then Jesus brings those relationships that you need into your life for growth. And ultimately, you can fulfill your purpose. A.W. Tozer said, I have often wished that there was some way to bring to the modern Christians 
a deeper spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are in vain. No shortcut exists. God has not bowed to our nervous haste nor embraced the methods of our machine age. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. The man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and prayer hours on end so that the saints of old, the glorious company of the apostles, the goodly fellowship of prophets, and the believing members of the Holy Church in all generations. And so must we if we were to follow in their train. May not the inadequacy of much of our spiritual experience be traced back to our habit of skipping through the corridors of the kingdom like little children through the marketplace, chattering about everything, but pausing to learn the true value of nothing. If we're going to cultivate this relationship with Christ, we have got to get our time spent with him daily. We've got to crucify ourselves. We've got to surrender our will to him so that he can live out that life in us. Those of you who have come to the devotions, you've also heard uh, me tell the story of Charles Blondin. It's a story I love to tell because the picture is so perfect. Charles Blondin was a French tightrope walker who crossed Niagara Falls over 300 times, doing flips and cartwheels, carrying odd things, even one time carrying a wooden cook stove out on the tightrope, cooking an omelet and lowering it down to the ferry below. But one day as he went across with a wheelbarrow, he got to the other side and he asked the man standing there, a spectator, he said, do you believe I could carry a man across this tightrope in this wheelbarrow? And the man said, yes, I believe that. And Charles Blondin said, good, hop in. Well, of course, the spectator didn't hop in because there's a big difference between belief and faith. That man believed that Charles Blondin could do it, but he didn't have faith that Charles Blondin could do it. He didn't believe, he believed it in his head because he'd seen all the things that Blondin had done, but he didn't believe it in his heart. But later on, Blondin did carry his manager across on his shoulders piggyback. Harry Colcord, Colcord trusted Blondin. He had faith in Blondin. But this is what Blondin said to Harry before they started. He said, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Be a part of me mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we'll both go to our death. That is the picture that Christ has painted for us all over the scriptures. He has painted it for us over and over again that we cannot do it. We cannot earn our forgiveness. We cannot earn God's grace. We cannot earn God's pleasure. It all comes because of Christ in us. I've got one last story that I would like to share with you, and it comes from Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China and founder of the China Inland Ministry. 
He spent 51 years in China preaching and teaching the Word of God. His biographer, Howard Taylor, wrote his biography, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. In it, he said, talking about Taylor, or uh, talking about Hudson Taylor, he was a joyous man now, a bright, happy Christian. He had been a toiling, burdened one before with not much rest of soul. It was resting in Jesus now, letting him do the work which made all the difference. Whenever he spoke in meetings after that, a power seemed to flow from him. And in these practical things of life, a new peace possessed him. Troubles did not worry him as before. He cast everything on God in a new way and gave more time to prayer. From Hudson himself, when he had this revelation, he said, I have been reduced to a state of complete exhaustion spiritually, so, I, so that I felt that there was no point in going on. One night at midnight, I got down on my knees before God, and I just wept in sheer despair. I said, oh God, I know that I am saved. I love Jesus Christ. I am perfectly convinced that I am converted. Within all my heart, I have wanted to serve you, yet I have tried to my uttermost, but I feel I'm a helpless failure. That night, things happened. I can honestly say that I had never once heard from the lips of men the message that came to me then. But God that night simply focused the Bible message of Christ who is my life. The Lord seemed to make plain to me that night through the tears of my bitterness. You see, for seven years with utmost sincerity you have been trying to live for me on my behalf the life that I have been waiting seven years to live through you. I'm going to repeat that again because that, that's the message that we need to hear today. This is God speaking. You see, for seven years with the utmost sincerity, you have been trying to live for me on my behalf the life that I have been waiting for seven years to live through you. I got up the next morning to an entirely different Christian life. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ is your Savior, this is the life that you need to embrace. We can't do it. We can't fulfill the law. The only thing that we can do is bury ourselves in the neck of our Savior, weep on Him, and give everything to Him. Daily, I have to get up in the morning and I have to say, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Because if I don't, I won't make it out of the bedroom before I start having thoughts and desires contrary to what the Scripture teaches. I have to get up every morning and daily sacrifice, daily crucify myself so that the Christ who is in me can live through me. If you find yourself in the same place this morning, I ask that you come to the altar today and get it right. Lost person, if you haven't come to trust Jesus as your Savior, I urge you today to come to the altar and make that right. There is nothing that we can do to get perfection. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. 
that is going to let us get into the kingdom of God. There is nothing in and of ourselves that is going to let us live out the law and live out our purpose. We're not going to see our purpose fulfilled by trying to turn this backwards. We have got to start with Christ in you. And Christ in you starts with prayer and meditation and getting to know him. I'm going to ask Scotty if he would come. If any of you would like to come this morning, Pastor, myself, we've got plenty of people here that would be happy to pray with you. I needed this because all too often I try to serve the Lord in my own power and in my own strength. And I find myself worn down, tore down, exhausted spiritually. And in that moment, when you reach the bottom, you find out that it's all been in vain because you're fighting the battles that he's already fought and won for you. Don't spend all your time today fighting those battles. Spend your time today getting to know the Savior who has already won those battles.